You're listening to Coming of Cage, a Nicolas Cage podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Coming of Cage podcast. I am one of your two hosts, Derek, and I've got my good old buddy Ryan here with me. Hello. Hello, hello. And this week, we are talking about the 1984 Francis Ford Coppola movie, The Cotton Club. The Cotton Club, starring Richard Gere, Gregory Hines, Diane Lane, Bob Hoskins, Fred Gwynn, Nicolas Cage... Which is the reason we're all here, of course. So what do we do? We talk Nicolas Cage movies. And then at the end, we rate those Nicolas Cage movies on on a scale that we have, our our, uh, Cage-o-meter. So what is The Cotton Club? The Cotton Club, uh, according to IMDb, meet the jazz musicians, dancers, owner, and guests, like gangster Dutch Schultz, of The Cotton Club in 1928 to 1930s Harlem. So... There you go. Um, We watched the encore edition of the movie, which is a 2019 restoration of the film that is longer than the original version of the movie uh, for better or worse. And it restores some extra musical numbers and extends some others. So that's the version of the movie we watched without really knowing it because it doesn't tell you till the end in a special end title that is different than the opening title for some reason. So there you go. Uh, Ryan, you want to take it away like you usually do? Uh, yeah, I mean, this one's, it feels a little weird to be doing this our normal way because, uh, I mean, straight out, I'm just going to say that I had trouble getting through this movie. Um, I felt like there wasn't really any plot, uh, so to speak, and that generally whatever plot was there was just met as filler in between different dance numbers uh, or performances. Um, the performances were like were actually pretty good. I mean, I'm not really a big tap dancing fan, but there was a lot of tap dancing in this, and it was, I mean, it was probably my favorite part of the movie if I had to pick one. Um, but yeah, I mean, it just felt like whatever semblance of plot they put in there was just to make it so it wasn't just a two hour long dance number. Yeah, I think that's kind of a fair way to look at it, and yeah, I agree with you. The the performances are all really good. The dancing, the tap dancing, the singing, it's all very nice. It's not quite my style. Same. And I'm certainly in no position to critique tap dancing. It was, it looked good. <laughs> I mean, they looked like they knew what they were doing. Uh, I have no idea. I've never tried to tap dance, but yeah, I mean, the, I guess the general basis of the movie for those who don't know is uh, Richard Gere plays Dixie Dwyer. He is a cornet player and musician. He also plays piano. And he saves the life of this man called Dutch, who is like this mob boss guy. And he's not like the top mob boss. Bob Hoskins is the top mob boss and probably the only uh, actor who would show up. And I'd get really excited because I loved Hoskins and thought he did his best. But uh, anyway, saving Dutch's life, Dwyer kind of gets brought into this world to primarily play music, drive the guy around, take Diane Lane's character, Vera, out on dates for Dutch, which was confusing a lot of the time. I don't know. Maybe that was a 1920s thing. Um, And then eventually Dixie wants out 
and Bob Hoskins character Madden uh, basically takes in Dwyer and eventually Dwyer becomes an actor in Hollywood playing a gangster, which is all somewhat based on true stories. This is all kind of loosely based on true stories. In fact, Lawrence Fishburne's character was a real was based on a real person. And Lawrence Fishburne actually played that real person in another movie uh, 13 years later. So, like, it's just I don't know. It's very strange. And also Lawrence Fishburne's basically basically his whole role in this movie was just like, look at the camera a few times. I mean, he does get to speak at the very end. Right, but through, throughout the, like the whole first half of the movie, literally all it does is just like fleeting shots of him not doing anything except like looking at people. Yeah, I mean, he was he was a good looking guy when he was young, uh, <laughs> and I, they just they wanted to show you that. Apparently. I think this is the youngest I've ever seen him. I'm pretty sure. Uh, yeah. I guess Apocalypse Now was just before this, I suppose. But yeah. Okay, well, if we're going to do the uh, normal route, we're probably going to go quick because I don't know how much we have to say about a lot of these things. But uh, my first note is cool cars. It's the 1920s. There's some cool, like, uh, what we would consider antique cars in there. So I appreciated that. Yeah, I mean, some of them are gorgeous, right? It's a style for sure. The 1920s is definitely a style. This isn't in a note for me, but I'm just thinking of it. I want to tackle it early on. Is uh, this... Probably because of the restoration. I don't really know. But when I was watching this, it seemed like a much newer movie than a 1984 movie. Did you it's have gotta that same? Be, yeah, it's that restoration. And I, I maybe it was something... weird. It was a weird phenomenon. Like I, I, could, I knew this was made in 1984. And like the actor's ages looked like they were, it was 1984. Sure. But like and everything else didn't really line up. And maybe it was also helpful because it was a period piece. But yeah, I mean, right. It's it's meant to look like it's set in, right. in the 20s. I mean, there are times that like it, I did kind of forget when it was being filmed. I thought they did fit the twenties. Well, right. If we're going to talk about what the movie did well, I do think it hit the time period. Well, but the restoration did a good job. It it reminded me of the restoration they did for Casablanca. Like if you watch Casablanca, it looks like it was made yesterday. It's kind of disappointing that they don't do that kind of restoration to more movies. Honestly, having seen that now, because it was very good. Mm -hmm. I agree. Um, so my next note says Alter Boy. I'm pretty sure that was a joke somebody said, but I don't really remember the context. Yeah, Dixie says it to Vera. He makes a comment about how he was an Alter Boy. Yeah. Uh, a young Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah, yeah. That's my next note, which we already covered. Right, right. Uh, dynamite attack. So in like the first act of this movie, <laughs> there's a random attack where a guy just like walks up to a table and throws his lit well, no, hang dynamite on, hang on. under the table. He's not just a guy. He's a cop. I mean, I didn't even know that until just now when you yeah, said that. Yeah, so it's this It's this I club. followed no plot of this movie. They're, they're in a club, not the Cotton Club. This is a different club. This is the club that Dixie works at at the beginning of the movie. And he's playing cornet, not trumpet. Every time someone says trumpet, he corrects them. He's a cornet player. Uh, for those who don't know, the cornet and the trumpet are extremely similar instruments to everybody who is not a musician. So... Um, <laughs> And he also well, plays piano. Which he does also play piano. And he sings a little bit. Yeah. Um, fun fact, uh, Richard Gere actually played most of the cornet stuff himself. He actually, uh, at least back then, I don't know if he still plays, but he could play. So he did the solos and things like that himself. But anyway, yeah, he, he comes after he's done playing, he comes and sits down at this table. Everyone's like kind of congratulating him and stuff. They bring some some lady folk over who Dan Lane is one of those. And then these two cops come in and I'm thinking they're going to bust 
somebody, right? There's drugs or something, right? And instead the dude lights a stick of dynamite like he's going after the roadrunner and throws it under the table. Right, like was this a common thing in the 20s? Like that's how you killed people? You just threw lit sticks of dynamite underneath their tables? I can't say. I, I got to imagine there's a more efficient, less comical way to do it, but... I think so. You know, but that's what they did. And that's where Dixie saves Dutch's life, yeah. not knowing who Dutch is. So it sets into process or sets into motion the whole movie, basically. Yes. Um, Richard Gere's mustache is my next note because it was phenomenal. I mean, he's got a style in this movie, right? He's got those round sunglasses and the tiny, like, pencil thin mustache the whole time. I mean, he looked pretty good. You know? yeah, most of the guys had pencil thin mustaches, including yeah. uh, our Lord and Savior, Nick Cage. Uh, <laughs> he has a pretty wonderful mustache along with uh, the th- what's going on on top of his head. It was all, all delightful. <laughs> um, but we'll get to that. Um, so this, this, I'm not sure if it's a legit note or not, but it seemed like the ADR was really bad in this. And now some of that could have been attributed to the way I viewed it. Cause I streamed it from my laptop to the TV and maybe there was just a weird delay there, but I haven't had that with other movies. Did you notice any weird ADR? Like stuff wasn't quite lined up. I did not. Okay. I, I watched it directly through the Plex app on my Xbox and uh, it had a bunch of commercials. So I didn't notice any audio. Okay. Issues. So that must have been an issue with me. So we can take, well, take one scratch away. I will I noticed say, a lot with the trunk or the cornet scenes uh, a lot, but then also there were some dialogue scenes where I thought it was really weird. But again, it definitely could have been me. I mean, the, the mixing was definitely bad. Like I had to have it pretty blaring to hear the dialogue. And then the music was fairly loud and then the commercials were blaring. So it was definitely not the, the mixing wasn't what I would have liked it to be, especially now knowing that it's a 2019 restoration. Yeah. I think considering how good the movie looks, they could have done more with the sound. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so next up, I have this is the quietest Nick Cage intro ever, because it's just like another scene where he's just like walking in the street with uh, Dixie Normus or whatever the guy's name was. Um <laughs> Dixie and, Dwyer. Yeah, that guy. <laughs> and uh they're just like walking through the street and that's it. No, it's like no no caginess, no nothing. It was you couldn't even tell it was him really because you never really see his face in that scene. You just kind of hear the voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wasn't sure it was him at first until the, the following scene when he really shows back up and he's dating uh what's her Jennifer name? Gray, from, apparently. Yeah, Jennifer Gray. Yeah. Yeah, that was a fun surprise. Dirty um, dancing and, fame. And this I think was before Dirty Dancing by a few years. But, I mean uh, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, then I th- this says Richard Gere kiss on the lips. I'm pretty sure Nick Cage kisses him on the lips. Yeah, that I happens mean, a few times. That's kind of that's kind of more of a northeastern thing. I guess it was just weird. Uh, but like my, hey. my my parents' generation did that. Right, like my family comes from the Northeast, and uh, that's not something that my family does. I don't. You guys are from anybody. Maine. That's like Canada. In Vermont, that's like rich Canada. Okay, whatever. Um, <laughs> I'm talking yeah. like Philly, New York, like where these guys are from. Like my mom's from the Bronx, you know. So then we get like this serious conversation that uh, Richard Gere's character is having with, I think his mom or not his mom. Yes. It's somebody. Is it his mom? That's his. Mom. And Cage is like fucking this his fiance in the background, like quite loudly. And then you get a well, no, visual of it. Did they get married or were they just engaged to be married? I, I thought they got just engaged. At the, I don't know. Yeah, that was weird because like she's now it's the 1920s. 
Right. So it's not like she's walking around in what, you know, modern lingerie would look like. Right. Right. But she's not fully dressed for 1920s, you know, standards for Dwyer's mother. And so right. she keeps making those types of comments. But then, yeah, they go to the next room over in this tiny little apartment and they're just having sex on the other side of the wall while Dwyer and his mom are just like talking business. <laughs> And it's just like it's I, I don't even think it's like an actual wall because you can like see their shadows and stuff. I don't know. It was weird. It was very weird. Um, very so then weird. we get like a, sh- a quick glimpse of the actual sex. So that's the first Nick, Nick Cage sex scene in this movie. Um, I feel like we should have like a uh, uh, what's our what's our podcast called again? Coming of Cage. Of Cage. We'd have like coming of Cage. Uh, like breakdown of all the like which movies have how many sex scenes we've seen from Nick Cage in them in these movies how many times he's died in the end of the movies uh things like that because there's shirtless scenes I'm pretty yeah. sure it would be literally every movie we've watched so far well here I'll, I'll make you a deal we can do that if you go back and rewatch the first no. 13 movies no you, you have a better memory for all of them than I do so. <laughs> um okay then casual stalking is my next note. I think that was Richard Gere's character, maybe with the woman that he likes. I can't casual remember exactly. Stalking. Yeah. That doesn't but ring so- a bell. Cause like, so the first night with Vera, she's like, you know, hammered and he brings her back to her place. She asks him to stay. He helps her get like relatively undressed, but it's not like, he leaves like he tucks her into bed and he sleeps on her weird couch thingy. I'm sure there's a name for what that furniture is called. Uh, and then that's like it. a therapist they, couch is what it looks like. Well, but it's got like it's like wavy, like he can't get comfortable. It's actually pretty oh, funny yeah. watching him try and get comfortable on this couch. I don't know if that was improvised or not, but um, yeah, I don't remember what the casual stalking was, but somebody like just is waiting outside for some other character. And uh, oh, Gregory Hines. Is that Maybe. who you're talking about? Fair yeah, because he can't. So in the so, man, there this movie. One of the things that really bothered me in this is like it is the 1920s, and I do understand that, and I do understand that we're dealing with mobs and and Harlem and things like that. But this movie is racist and anti-Semitic as hell, and that was really difficult to watch. And so the Cotton Club is a, uh, a, a, a they call it a jazz club. I mean, I don't I'm not an expert enough to say if that's accurate, but um, they do more than jazz there from what I could tell. But all of the performers are black people from yeah. what I could gather. And um the difference there is the, the the wait staff are black people, the valet, and you can't, but they're not allowed to be patrons, customers, right? They can't yeah. go there and eat and drink. I think and watch I have that show. as a note later on, but yeah. Yeah. And so he, Gregory Hines, Sandman is his character's name. Um, he, he is, uh, which by the way, I guess Richard Pryor was supposed to have the role, but they couldn't afford him. But uh, so Sandman is trying to get, talk to this lady that he likes uh little rose played by lynette mckee and he's not allowed inside so the valet has to like give a message essentially and that relationship throughout the whole movie is extremely awkward because most most of the time she is not interested she is not into him she's focused on her work she's telling brushing him off very nicely very politely, but he's not getting it. And then they end up like married at the end of the movie. I don't know. It's very, that was very odd. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My next note was anti-Semitic remark. So many, man. Yeah. There's there was a, a lot. 
and like, look, people who listen to the show, like I'm Jewish. So I'm, sen- I'm a little more sensitive to those things, but this movie is racist as hell. Like they really steer into all of the derogatory slang terms used for various groups of people throughout the whole movie. And um, I mean, it's what gets one of the guys killed. Yeah. I forget the guy's name, uh, but Dutch kills a dude at this little party after the guy says something anti-Semitic, but they've all been racist and anti-Semitic. So I'm not exactly sure why this Dutch off specifically, but it did. And he kills a guy in a really poorly done murder scene. Yeah. My next note is Bob Hoskins, mob Lord. He's great. Uh, Yeah. He's, he's great. I mean, he's always great though. So that's nothing super surprising. No, it's just, he was my favorite part of the movie. I felt like he really like enveloped the role that he was given because yeah he is like the top level mob boss basically the other mobs only exist because he mentored their leaders at some point right um and his number two is fred gwynn who that's herman munster for those who may not know so big giant like six five guy and the two of them this this you know juxtaposition of bob hoskins who's like maybe as tall as me he's like five six five seven maybe maybe even less i don't really know and then the six five fred gwynn it was it was fun I like the two of them. They were my favorite part of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. They have a really good scene later on in the movie. Um, my next one is the creepy tongue thing that I don't remember who does it. Maybe uh, Dutch. Uh, so I don't know. They were talking about like how, the, how there's like the best pussy in the, in the world is at this club or something like that. And he like does oh. this weird thing where he sticks out his tongue, like shakes it side to side. And it's just really nasty. And I feel like, uh, uncomfortable i don't know maybe well yeah I, I think it's also worth noting that on top of all of the racism and anti-semitism is a shit ton of sexism yeah and misogyny and bad stuff there like i know i'm jumping around a little bit but like the dance scene where dwyer takes vera out dancing and they go on the dance floor and he's dancing with her really rough like mo- like not like he's mad about it right he's being yeah. mean and then she slaps him because he's being an ass and then he slaps her back and everybody around just thinks it's part of like their dance routine. And so some of the other people in the background, I guess you could call them extras are like mimicking the slapping dance, heavy, you know, air quotes on that. And it's just, it's really uncomfortable. Yeah. It's a weird scene. Uh, then we get the murder out of nowhere. Right. Yeah, you already brought up the dude Dutch stabbing the other dude. Stabs the dude through like the bottom of his mouth or whatever, right? Under yeah, like some party thing. I don't really know what was going on there, but yeah, blood everywhere. Well, so what that was, so we're there because Dixie's gonna play piano and Vera's gonna sing. And Bob Hoskins' character, Madden, is trying to get, I guess, the other two mob groups, which Dutch is controls one, and then the soon-to-be dead guy controls the other. He's trying to get the two of them to like put their their issues aside and get on the same page because they're drawing too much attention to Harlem. Yeah. And it's not good for business. Right. So Hoskins, of course, he's a bad guy. He's a gangster. He's a mob boss, but he's a businessman and he doesn't want the infighting. That's what because he's a bad guy doesn't mean he's a bad guy. That's right. (laughs) He's at least the one we can count on throughout the whole movie to be in care that care. You know what I mean? Like he has the same character throughout the movie. He doesn't like get meaner get nicer throughout the movie you pretty much know what you're getting with him throughout everything which is kind of nice yes um women is property is my next note Mm -hmm. because somebody says something about she belongs to me or something like that and yeah so dutch basically quote unquote owns her in this in this context so he's paying for her 
in some capacity or has, you know, manipulated and or threatened her in some capacity where she is not under her own free will to leave that situation. Yeah. But supposedly there's some connection between her and Dixie Dwyer, even though they seemingly dislike each other, each other most of the time too. Yeah. Um, which is funny because that's also what we ran into in the last movie where Nick Cage's character really did not seem to have any, the woman just seemed to hate him completely. Mm-hmm. And we were supposed to believe that this was a romance. Yeah. It's, it's very awkward. Um, Tom Waits looks like a young Ron, Ron Perlman. What's my next note? Um, I must have missed that. No, he just like, I don't know. In this movie, he just looked like Ron, Ron Perlman to me. Okay. Um, Nick Cage N-word is the next note. Yep. Yeah. Not, not my proudest moment as a Nick Cage fan. No. Nope. I mean, it's what lots of good actors have used that word in a movie for, you know, whatever. And at this point he was trying to get roles. I mean, and it was a Francis Ford Coppola movie. So I know and that's his uncle. Uh, so, you know, he's trying to do right. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, yeah, I, not good. It's not good. The whole thing, like there's just so much racism in this movie. Then they, they name drop Duke Ellington uh, at one point in this and uh, that he plays there. And that kind of as a former jazz uh, jazz band member in high school, you know, I was seeing a lot of names in this, mostly in the credits when I was going through all the artists and everything that did these songs. It was kind of like a trip down memory lane of all these artists that I that I'd uh, done music of before. And Duke Ellington, him being there and being a regular performer there, uh, you know, that's an easy way to tell the audience that this is a very high end place that they like will pay money uh, if you hadn't already gotten that. You know, right? Yeah, that was because that's what it's supposed to be, right? This is supposed to be like the place. Yeah, the jazz yeah, club to go. And uh, you know, that's interesting. I was in jazz band as well. I guess I didn't study. <laughs> I just well or i mean we were a different jazz band so maybe uh maybe my teacher was more of a fan of that type of music and dug into the classics a bit more for those you know listening at home what'd you play uh trumpet yeah or cornet or, or cornet i mean they, <laughs> they play the same way it's just I, a different I shape. well i my little brother played the cornet um and i always you know kind of thought that as well but I'm not, I'm not an expert, so I'm sure somebody out there is a cornet player who doesn't like people saying it sounds like it's the same as a trumpet. That's one of our four listeners, and they're just now quitting listening to us. So That's now true. we're down to three again. I uh, um, just, just to throw this out, I played the baritone in jazz band. I got to imagine that's a small group of people who have done that. Yeah, because it's not really generally a jazz instrument. Not usually, no. Um, delightful tap dancing performances, which yeah. we already kind of covered. That I mean, I'm not that big of a tap dancing fan. It's not really my thing, but it is really fun to watch people that are really good at what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, Gregory Hines was very good um, in this. Yes. And it, it, one thing I did like about all the performances in this and that it would have been handled differently if it was a modern movie was that they showed the whole performer doing the dance. It wasn't mm-hmm. like a cut from the shoes up to the like upper torso real quick so that you could like so that it looked like this guy was doing the dance but he wasn't actually they i mean there was a couple shots like that but most of the time it was you're seeing the performer doing the dance mm-hmm. and they can't really fake it no you're right there's there was a lot of that because they're trying to show like the set pieces or it's like it's an ensemble group a lot of the time yeah. um so they do have to do these wide shots they do these tap dancing things on stair like a staircase thing that, which was, was really so cool. cool at the yeah, end yeah that was really neat. The, the only knock I have against that is like, this isn't a musical. 
So it's a movie where they go to places where people dance and do music stuff. So I found it a little odd that like all of the tap dancers just wear tap shoes all of the all time. the time. I have that in a note in here. Yeah. <laughs> right. Versus yeah. like, if it's actually like a musical, you know, then like there's some suspension of disbelief because they're going to break out in song at any random time, but this isn't a musical. So that doesn't really work for me. Right. But otherwise wonderful performances. There's like uh there's this scene my next note is um oh well my next note is features black performers but can't be patrons which we've already kind of covered mm-hmm. um then there's a scene where i think it was gregory Hines, sandman was singing to a woman was it him that was singing to a woman about the three things he likes about her or whatever you remember that the, i don't one remember them, that one of them that was that she was tan i can't remember he sings a song well, then, about the three words probably, he would use to describe this woman. I would say probably then, because this becomes a plot point later that Lynette um, McKee, she, and this is the phrase they use in the movie, is quote white passing, right? So she's very she's fair skinned, and she has a. We find out later in the hotel scene that I, I may have this flip that her father is black and her mother is white. And so that, you know, she might, you you know, use that to her advantage in the times to go to places that wouldn't normally allow black people to go in the 1920s. And that's a, a plot point later in the movie. Um, so I assume then that was Sandman singing the song because that's who wants to get with her throughout the film. Yeah, I just thought it was interesting that he used the word tan as one of the three words that he would describe her with because that is not like one that immediately pops into my head yeah but anyway um tap dance battle yeah that was cool there's several tap several tap dance battles i like Um, i didn't think that's where that scene was gonna go because like you know it's like a men's club kind of thing not like in the sense of like a strip club but it's like just like guys go here and play you know chess and things like that or cards and whatever and um this old dude gets up like he's gonna like kick them out or something like that and then he starts tap dancing and it's this great scene yeah and um, they're all wearing tap shoes of they're course, all including wearing the shoes. woman that's wearing like heels yeah um very aggressive dancing is my ex note which i think is the scene with richard gear when he's being a giant jerk and like slapping women and it's an awful scene because like they start the dance they're sitting at a table she's unhappy he's unhappy and then he says something about how it feels like he's walking the dog or whatever, which is just yeah. deeply insulting. And then, yeah, it's just bad. And then, yeah, Richard Gere is an asshole is my next note. Not the actual actor, but his character. Dixie maybe he, is, he may be an asshole in real life. I don't really know. I've never met him. But in the movie, he was an asshole for sure. Um, then we get this scene where I'm pretty sure it's Diane Lane's character is doing like eye makeup on her eyes. That yeah. looks like open eyes. Uh-huh. And then she opens her eyes. I feel like that's there's several things in this movie that I feel like it's supposed to be symbolism for something that I am just too dumb to figure out. I think <laughs> there had to be some point to that. It was weird. If, if it makes you feel any better, I didn't really gain anything from it. It was just odd. Like, yeah. What, what was the point of having that in there? There had to be some reason that they decided because it, it's not like they show that ever again. It's like a no. two second thing and it's never referenced again. So I don't know. I guess it, the only thing that maybe that was useful for is it's a scene where Dixie and Vera are like getting along. So this is them building their relationship, even though they've 
disliked each other the and entire time. And he was just time. sitting there watching her do this eye makeup on top of her eyes and be like, <laughs> okay, I'm just going to watch. I guess. It was, it was just the 1920s. Weird. What else are they going to do? That's true. Have sex, probably. <laughs> um, tap dancing drama. I don't even remember what that particular drama was, but there was a lot of tap dancing drama in this movie. Well, so Sandman's big thing is that he oh, and his, yeah, brother his brother have a duo show that they do together and they got into the cotton club and that was like this big dream of theirs and then Sandman wants to you know hit it out on his own he gets to do like a solo and he doesn't tell his brother about it so his brother quits um so that's kind of a sad moment it does come back later where they have this great kind of tap dance makeup performance that's really nice but if you've yeah. been listening to this podcast so far and going okay what's the plot though the plot the exactly what movie. I'm thinking too, because at this point in the movie, I'm like, I'm pretty sure my next one of my upcoming notes is I still don't know what the plot of this movie is. And this is like an hour and 15 minutes or an hour and 30 minutes in. There's the problem is there's two movies happening here. You've got the Dixie Dwyer movie where this is a guy who's been brought into this mob world. And he doesn't want to be there, but he's fallen for this woman who's bought and paid for by this mob boss. And then you've got the Sandman movie where you've got this performer who's got a thing for this lady and she's not really that interested in him, but he's going to pursue her. Those are the two movies that they put into one film here. Yeah, but there's not really a lot of plot for either of those storylines in this movie. Not much. That's what I like. There's just so much dancing. And part of that is our fault for watching the specific cut we did. Because going back and looking at the IMDb, it says that they put three extra dance numbers in there and fleshed out other ones. So I feel like maybe it would be more obvious what the plot was or maybe that it would be more concise. If we watched the original theatrical version, but that's on us. Also, right now, a lot of these older, more obscure Nick Cage movies are kind of hard to find any version of. That's true. So we kind of just have to go with whatever we get. So, um, you know, in this case, it ended up being the much longer and... Uh, more sleep inducing version <laughs> supposedly there's a three hour cut uh that that does exist but was never like released that way so even no more thanks. even more tap dancing i'll watch uh, the snyder cut instead <laughs> um and then we get nick cage with a tommy gun which was delightful mm-hmm. you know just just that visual yeah yeah he looks good with the tommy gun i agree um is that yeah, the scene in the street where they try and mow down that guy i think so yeah that scene drove me nuts. So look, I'm not I'm not a gun guy. I certainly don't know much about Tommy guns other than they're they fit well in violin cases. Um, <laughs> but they've got they they roll up in a car to kill this one like older guy. He's you know he's not old, but older guy who's just walking by himself down the street. And these dudes unload like three barrels into this side of the street, and they barely get the guy. They do okay. manage to like kill a couple of kids in the process. So as a guy that does know a little bit more about guns, Tommy guns were no- notoriously heavy and inaccurate. And as I understand it back in those days, they were like not really effective weapons of murder, more just like damage causing and uh, like intimidating than they were anything else. I mean, they're very, when you get, when you see those big like drums on them, those things are very heavy. I mean, and unwieldy. So yeah, it was a weird scene. I don't necessarily, I'm not trying to like excuse the way it was shot or anything, but yeah, it was a little weird. They couldn't hit this guy, but <laughs> they weren't, they weren't notoriously accurate firearms. So, you know, I, mean, I guess that that does help a little bit, 
because yeah. I found it silly. Like this dude's just like he's screwing around with an umbrella that he can't get to work right. He's just nonchalantly walking down the street. And, like these three gangsters in a car who are all armed can't seem to take this dude down. Just, yeah, he like almost gets away. Right, right. So I was like, that is weird. But they do yeah. kill a couple of kids and everyone thinks that it's Nick Cage who killed the kids because it was like his boys, you know, who are doing the work, but he wasn't in the car. Another random murder was my next note. So this is like, what, the second murder of the movie? And they were like an hour apart. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, then we get moist Nick Cage in the rain again, which we always like. Yeah, know, that seems to happen show. more often than I thought it would. <laughs> right? I mean, that's why I make note of it every time, because <laughs> these are things that I feel like we should be tracking. Um, <laughs> more murder, because then we have some more killing shortly mm-hmm. after that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, then Nick Cage kidnaps a a dude the partner of bob hoskins i think yeah so he kidnaps frenchie that's uh fred gwynn's character frenchie like you're in harlem you're gonna kidnap the biggest guy you can find just well like he doesn't even choice. put up he doesn't even put up a fight he just goes with them i mean he's yeah. got they got guns on him so i get it but he's got he's clearly got like but a he doesn't level seem, head, but... yeah he doesn't seem panicked or anything like that at all not even remotely it's like he knew bob hoskins would pull through for him right, right. the actor not the not the character <laughs> the actor um <laughs> then we get a shirt another shirtless nick cage scene which seems to happen in every single one of these movies where he's just wearing suspenders and pants yeah, that's a look, man. That's a 1920s look right there. So the yeah, whole so, movie, I was like, are we going to get like, because we had the sex scene earlier, yeah. but you didn't really get a shirtless Nick Cage. You just saw a little bit of his back. And so I was like, so are we going to get a legit shirtless Nick Cage? Because this is probably two hours into the movie or close yeah. to it. But and then it. finally, finally we get it. Well, because what happens here at this point, Dixie Dwyer is now working for Madden, Bob Hoskins character. And, you know, yeah, his this brothers after the start of the movie. Right. Yeah, well, right. So, like that—that's another thing too. The way they handle time in this movie. So the movie just starts, and you assume it's the 1920s because that's what it looks like. But then all of a sudden, like over an hour into the movie, they flash up on the screen 1929, and then you have the recession. Supposedly, right. they're unaffected by it. Seemingly, right? It's not a plot point at all. <laughs> and then they show it's 1930. Like that's up on the screen. I'm like, wait a minute. So now they're going to tell me when things are taking place. You didn't do that for the first half of the movie. Right. So I assume the rest of the movie is 1928. That's what IMDb says. I don't know. Um, But anyway, so Nick Cage, he's Vincent Dwyer. He is Dixie Dwyer's brother. And so Madden wants Dixie to go get Frenchie from, uh, from Vincent. And so Dixie's got to go in and Vincent's got all these guys, right, with guns and they're holed up in this tiny little apartment room somewhere. And Frenchie's in the next room over and they haven't they're basically touched hiding out because Nick Cage's character has been accused of killing kids. Right. He's the he's the baby killer now. Yeah. Um, and like everything goes really smoothly with this handoff. Like it's fifty thousand dollars. He's paid. He's good. Frenchie's leaving. You know, Vincent's like, you're going to tell him like we treated you good. Right. We didn't hurt you. And then for no fucking reason at all, Vincent slices Frenchie's ear with a blade. Yeah, that was my next. Well, first, before that, I have uh, anti-Semitic Nick Cage because he makes a comment um, and he just like randomly slices his ear. I don't really know why. It's not really explained why he does that. He just like because he was shaving. He has shaving cream on his face and stuff like that when he gets into the when Richard Gere's character comes into the room. Right. 
And so he has the straight razor on him. And so, yeah, right before the dude's about to leave, he just like reaches the razor up and like does a quick slice across the ear. And so I, my next note was, did he just cut that guy's ear? And then yes. Cause you, you see it later, yeah. but yeah, I, I don't know what that was about. It, it doesn't seem to really go anywhere, but. Yeah. Yeah. And then we get probably the best scene of the movie, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is the watch scene with so uh, uh, Bob Hoskins character and the dude that just got rescued from being Frenchy. kidnapped. Yeah. yeah. Frenchy. Um, yeah, really delightful scene. Uh, good banter between the two of them. Yeah, it's it's so good because basically, you know, they're they're kind of talking like everything's kind of good. You know, Frenchie's back; he's doing okay. His ears bleeding, but that was they were playing tennis. Vincent and him were playing ten, tennis. They were t- treating him really well. And you know, then he uh, Frenchie grab you know, takes the watch. He's like looking at the watch, see what time it is, and then he destroys the watch. And just yeah. gets angry and powerful on Hoskins. And like, keep in mind, there's like a foot and a half height difference at least between these two guys. Right. Uh, and um, he starts yelling, like, "How could you, you know, only you know give five hundred dollars for me? You let you know and all this other stuff." And then you know, Bob's like, "It was fifty thousand dollars." And they have this just really powerful moment. And then Frenchie pulls out a gift, and it's another pocket watch, but like a nicer one. Yeah, platinum. <laughs> so cute it's just great it's great seeing those two guys ah that yeah, was a great that, scene that was the best part of the movie right there for sure um i'm not can't say it's worth it to watch the whole movie just to get to that <laughs> scene but yes that was a highlight maybe, uh, maybe then, there's a bob hoskins super cut out there then we get the nick cage murder where he dies in a he candy has to store die at the end of all of his movies basically yeah they're like so they're sticking up a candy store now, so like, yeah, so Vincent's thing is like, he wants to be like a big bobster, hotshot kind of guy, right? And so now he's, 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 I don't know, going to a candy store to rob a freaking candy store in 1930. And he goes to answer the phone. They've got like these private little phone booths and he steps in the one and just gets blown away. It's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. he is destroyed. Um, then there's the tap showdown. Right. Which is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, again but it's like the sixth full length tap performance we've gotten in the movie at this point right so then uh some shit happens that i don't really care about and uh <laughs> the dude pulls one dude pulls a gun on richard gear's character dick D- dutch or whatever his name is pulls the gun on dixie well he does it so slow that the performer sandman, like, has, time to, sandman has time to run across the entire uh club <laughs> And then do like some karate kick out of nowhere to knock this gun out of the guy's hand when there's been no evidence in here at all that Sandman has some kind of skill to do that. No, we just know that he and Dixie are friends. That's right. it. Yeah. So, so Ryan, if anyone ever pulls a gun on me, I need you to crane kick the gun right across the, the whole hand. room. Well, they have to do it really slowly. That's the trick. <laughs> and but, but like, wait, really take their time and relish the moment of getting ready to shoot you. Mm-hmm. What's really wild though is like right right before this they introduce a brand new character. We are like two hours. Okay, and so 10 when we were watching that, I was like, "Am are we supposed to know who this guy is?" It keeps no. flashing to this guy. He is brand new. He is this brand new dude who I guess is going to run the mob for Hoskins after Hoskins goes back to jail. So like, I I thought maybe he's a cop or maybe he's the Fed. Like it was very unclear who this dude was for a while. Yeah. And then yeah, and then this whole thing with Dutch happens because Dutch figures out that Dixie and Vera are kind of like a thing because even though they've hated each other for two hours, they're in love. Right. And they're gonna run away together. Then there's some more murder. 
um, with like the most slow, dramatic death uh, of probably any of the Nick Cage movies we've watched so far. Well, yeah. So those cops show back up. So basically Dutch and his boys get hauled up in some bar somewhere. And then the two cops from the beginning of the movie show back up. Dutch is in the bathroom, which is very convenient for the scene. The cops shoot the three dudes like square, like right in their faces. Clearly these guys, you know, know how to handle a gun. And then they go in the bathroom and yeah, they shoot Dutch like three, four times. And dude takes forever to die. Yeah. It was ridiculous. <laughs> oh, it's very so, dramatic. Very, very. Then we get these like weird mixing mixed scenes that I can't quite figure out exactly what was happening. Like there's a marriage between Sandman and the, the woman he's been lusting after the whole movie. Well, yeah, so like some of it's the performance, like but some of it's real, yeah. right? Some of it's actually happening, but they're they're performing at like the train station, which is also where Hoskins is going to go back to jail. But it's also the stage back at the Cotton Club. It, it, it that felt like it belonged in a musical. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I could definitely right? say that. Yeah, I could one hundred percent see that in a musical. It was definitely reminiscent of that, but it wasn't. So <laughs> it's not a musical. So and then, and then there's my note, which you touched on earlier, saying that everyone wears tap shoes everywhere because there's a random, there's like random people tap dancing in like a subway. Well, right. So like, there's this girl train station. There's this girl. I don't know her age, 12, 14, maybe, who's tap dancing. Yeah, and Dixie's mother sees it, and apparently she. She's, she's an tap, expert tap, tap dancer dancing. with tap shoes on at that very moment at the train station. So she's going to teach this girl how to how to move her arms differently to tap. Dance. Yeah. And then like it sh- randomly shows this performance like ending and everybody's clapping. And then it shows a guy that just wakes up and starts clapping, which that guy is basically my idol, because that's exactly <laughs> how I felt through this whole movie. Well, Except I, think, I probably wouldn't have clapped at the end. I think that guy is supposed to be like one of Dutch's like right hand men, and he just like slept through the whole altercation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that's literally all my notes. We basically covered the whole movie. You I had no, you had nothing to say about the train scene. No. Oh man, it's like right right out of a play. So like Dwyer and Vera go off to Hollywood because like we skip the whole part where Dixie becomes an actor. He goes to Hollywood and actually gets cast in a movie to play a, a mobster, a which gangster. Which pisses Dutch off. Yeah. And which pisses off that, Dutch. Yeah. yeah. And so they're going to run away together back to Hollywood. And they get on the train and they're on the back of the train as it's pulling away. And they can kiss on the back of the train as the movie fades out to credits and, you know, whatever. After she says she's not going to go with him. Right. Right. Then she's just there with all of her luggage, even though he's treated her like shit for the entire movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I don't really have much else to say about this movie. I knew this was going to be a short podcast because neither of us really felt like there was a lot to discuss about this. Well, Nick is barely in it, right? In the first hour, he has like two minutes of screen time, and then he finally gets a little bit to do in the second half. And then he's murdered. Right, then he's killed, and then we have still like, I don't know, like 20 minutes. This is just not a movie that is in our wheelhouse. No. And to make matters worse, like watching it on Plex meant that it had a lot of commercials and every commercial break was three minutes. And so this movie, like it took me over three hours to watch this movie. Yeah, no, I had to do it over two nights because it was because it was so much of a slog. I was falling asleep. I mean, you know, like I never text you like during these movies. Right. I want to save everything for the show. And even I, I had to text you. I'm like, dude, I'm an hour in and he's been in this for two minutes. Like yeah i just kept checking how much time was left and i felt like 
it's time had stood still and the movie was never going to end it was just yeah even when i had 40 minutes to watch uh, on the second night i was still like oh my god this is still so brutal to watch yeah this was one of the hardest movies we'd have we've had to watch for a podcast i have to say so we now what do we do we rate this movie yeah we rate it yeah, yeah. so let's talk about that so we have our cajo meter so for those who don't know cajo meter we rate it on two different things quality and caginess, both out of 20. So 20 being the greatest movie ever with the most caginess ever, um, or you know, one being the worst movie ever and you know, no caginess. Um, so Ryan, let's let's start, let's start with quality here. How would you rate the overall quality of this movie? And I know I say it's tough every week, but like this wasn't like bad movie i feel like for the right person this is right up their wheelhouse but for me this is not <laughs> so i mean it's probably gonna be lower than than it should be i don't know i'm feeling like an eight maybe on this one i was gonna give it an eight okay well then i guess we're dead on with it because like look the performers are wonderful right yeah. the tap dancers the musicians the singers these are all professionals they know their stuff and they nail those scenes but it's not a musical and there's just a ton of that stuff that doesn't have a lot of context wrapped around it. And the rest of the movie just really falls flat with the exception of that one scene we talked about between Fred and Bob, just the rest of it. It's so light on everything else. So I'm with you eight. Okay. Well, that was easy then. No discussion needed. Now the caginess is hard because he's barely in the freaking movie. He has like one KG scene right so like Do you remember the scene i'm talking about when he's um, like got his head hidden and then he like pops out like a snake and with a gun on this guy when he's kid i think it's when he's kidnapping the yeah guy. it's when he's ca- kidnapping fred they're out <laughs> on like um it's kind of like in an alley yeah you know, that was like the only kg scene so this is going to be low on the cage meter for me where are you going to put it eric well I'm, I'm looking at some of our data just to kind of see like where where we're at on some things and you know, I, I think I think I'm going to give it a two. Yeah. On caginess. I was thinking a four. So maybe, you know, so I think that's settling as a three. Yeah. OK. Because when but, I think of the movies that were really not cagey, it was more cagey than those movies. But but not not a lot. That's fair. I put it on the same level as rage. Yeah, I think that's totally fair because um, I think that one had like one cagey scene, too. Right. It's yeah. hard when he's just not in it a lot because he's not given a lot of opportunity to be kind of out there. Uh, right. But there you go. So an eight out of 20 on quality and a three out of 20 on caginess for, for that. If you want to know like some cool behind the scenes stuff, like there's a million things to read about this movie. Tons of production issues. Sylvester Stallone was attached to it. And then it turned out one of the producers was having an affair with Stallone's girlfriend at the time. So he quit. Pacino was supposed to be in the movie, but he turned it down before Coppola was involved. Like there's just some really interesting. Bob Hoskins got the call from Coppola and thought there was some dude messing with him and hung up on Coppola. Like there's some really cool stuff if you're interested about the production side of things frankly i'm more interested in those types of things um if that if that tells you anything 
So that's it. That's the Cotton Club. The last thing we have to do is uh, so each each episode we pick our next movie based on our Wheel O Cage, which has 18 Nicolas Cage movies on it. You can go to comingofcage.com or follow us at Coming of Cage to find out what movie we will you know be talking about next when we spin that wheel a week from now. But we do have to decide what movie goes on the wheel to replace the Cotton Club. So the movie that will be joining the other 17 is Racing with the Moon. Racing with the Moon is going to join our Wheel O Cage. So that is a possible movie to come up next when we spin the Wheel O Cage next week. So that's it. That's us. We're the Coming of Cage podcast, comingofcage.com. You can find all of our social media stuff there. Ryan, anything else on the Cotton Club? No, I'm really good. You're really good. All right. Yeah. Well, then that's it for us. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let us know your thoughts on the movie and we will catch you next time. Meet, meet the music. Let's try it again.